0: Maybe we should start serving biscuits to the whole congregation. Maybe we have more people, you know. (laughs) Y'all, let me know if you think that's a good idea. Biscuits and popcorn. (laughs) Abby decides to cook. If Abby cooks, I know we'll be packed out. We'll be packed out every Sunday. If Abby cooks. Um, Thanks for praying for us. We've been in Austria this week, and I was preaching at a conference, and uh, it went really well. I know that many of you are praying for us, and I thank you for that. And. The Lord brought us home safely. I met many fellow aliens there. You know, you meet those people and they have that wild look in their eye. You talk about Jesus and they go, yeah, you know. And so we, uh, some people there like that and it was just, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I want to talk about, I guess the title of the sermon, I stole this from another theologian. I don't recall who now, but uh, the title of the sermon is "Thanksgiving." Living, right? Now we know about Thanksgiving, but... A true believer understands about thanks living. It's just who we are, um, again, because we not only know God, we know God loves us, and we know God holds us, and we know God is working all things to the good for those who love Him, those called according to His purpose. So we're sons and adopted sons and daughters of God, and it just doesn't get any better than that. And I know we all have hard times and difficult times and um, trying times, but but we know God, right? We know God, and we're on our way home to Him. So I want us to remember that tonight. I want us to be a thankful people. It's what the Lord calls us to be. I remember when I was in seminary, I received a mass mailing. I think I've shared this with you once before, maybe. I bought a new church in the area and the big print it said cool pastors and relevant messages and I thought I wonder why Jesus and the apostle Paul never thought of this all you have to do is say that you're a cool pastor and you preach relevant messages and I'm sure millions of people would have followed Jesus because he was a cool pastor and he preached relevant messages right (laughs) I've been I've been studying John 6 just for review this week and you know, Jesus had a pretty good crowd follow him, and he turns around, and he says, all this really hard stuff. Yeah, go read John 6. And uh that's the way the master did it. That's how he did it. But you know what I'm thinking? If you have to say you're a cool pastor, that's a tip to me, you're not so cool. I think it's very uncool to say that you're cool. Am I wrong? Am I right, Arazio? I think this is very uncool. And uh, obviously, I never went to that church. Uh, Of course, relevance, to use that term in the context of preaching, in the States anyway, it's code. It's code for we're going to talk mostly about you, maybe a little about God, not much, mostly about how God can serve you. That's what relevance means in the States. We're going to talk about how God can best serve you. How you can use God... Uh, in a utilitarian way to get what you want. That's kind of what relevance means. That's kind of the code in the U.S. Um, I actually looked the word up. There were some synonyms that I found very interesting uh, in the context of preaching. Um, it, it connotes a serviceability of God, the serviceability of God, the usefulness of God, and the utility of God. I still remember, I think, I think it was uh, Victor, one night in a young adult Bible study, he used this term and I've never forgotten it, this u- utilitarian view of God that's so prevalent in the modern church. It's probably why we average 40 or less people on a Sunday because we don't have cool pastors and we don't preach relevant messages. I love you too much. To tell you it's all about you because you already know it's not. Thank God it's not. Amen. I would be so bored if it was about me. In so many places these days, the gospel's preached in such a way that you can add Jesus to your life, kind of like getting a new sofa or a new car or a new computer. He's just an acquisition you add to your life to make your life better. Well, I think if you've been in this church long enough, you you realize you don't add Jesus to your life. Jesus becomes your life. If you are a Christian, He becomes your life. He is your life. Your life has been given away to the One who gave it to you in the first place and now has redeemed it and given it back to you. We don't add Him to our life. He is our life. John MacArthur, famous American preacher. One of my favorite. He says it so well. He says, Christianity is not a makeover. Christianity is a takeover. That's what it is. It is not a makeover. It is a takeover. God means to have all of you or He will have none of you. Beloved, this is the biblical truth. I've been cr- critiqued uh, in my... Preaching ministry over the years for preaching too much theology. And it's kind of like, what? <laughs> what does theology mean? It's just it's how we understand God. It's how we, we, we study God and think about God and relate to God and, and discuss God. We get it from the Bible. Uh, true Christians. That's where they get their theology. It's, that's all it is. The problem... In the modern church, it's not that we preach too little theology. It's that we don't preach enough. We don't preach enough. And you've got, you got generations of Christians really thinking that it's all about me and God's just trying to make it good for me. I'm not saying it's not good for us when we come to Christ. That's not what I'm saying. But, but I'm saying we don't get to use God for our own purposes. That's not what Christianity is about. John Piper says it beautifully. Bad theology hurts people. I know if you've been around a long time, you've heard me say this many, many times. Wrong believing leads to wrong living, which finally leads to condemnation. We don't need cool pastors and relevant messages. We just simply need to look at the biblical God and be changed, as the song said earlier. That's what I need anyway. Maybe I'm projecting my need onto you. I don't care about cool pastors. I don't care about people telling me it's all about me and how I can use God. I just want to look at God. I just want to know God. I want to be changed by God. I want to be drawn by God. I want to be filled up with God. That's what I want. I don't want a sermonette. I don't want a sermonette. I don't want that. Sermonettes make Christianettes. And a Christian, that's not good for much. Um, But as Bible believers in here, I'm going to give you a little litany here. So bear with me for a few minutes. Bad theology. It's why people love themselves more than they love God. It's just bad theology. If you really knew Jesus, there's no way you would love yourself more than you love Him. There's no way. Bad theology. It's why pseudo Christianity and every false religion exist. It's just bad theology. And when I say bad theology, what I'm saying is it's not in accordance with the Word of God, the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. Bad theology. It's why people covet and steal, it's why people abuse and become addicted to drugs and pornography, it's why people are unkind. It's why people live beyond their means. They think the stuff's going to make them happy. It's bad theology. Materialism's bad theology. If you knew Christ, you wouldn't be a materialist. You wouldn't. It's why nations war against nations. It's a bad theology. It's why children, old enough to know better, disrespect their parents. It's why people use profanity and vulgarity it's bad theology. They, they, they don't have praise on their mouth, on their lips, and on their tongue because they, they, they can't, they, you know, they're not focusing on the beauty of their Creator and Redeemer. <laughs> uh, it's why spouses, spouses abandon one another. It's why people hoard money. It's why people won't give money. It's why people complain. It's why mothers and fathers abort their children. It's why people fornicate, commit adultery, and engage in homosexuality. It's why people hate. It's why they're greedy. It's why they're envy. It's why they're full of vanity and pride and insecurity and selfishness and boredom and indifference and superiority and inferiority. It's why they suffer from lack of purpose, discontent and hopelessness, etc., etc., etc. It's all bad theology. You know, I think I've shared this with you before. When Karen was getting chemo treatments and I would go sit in the hospital and I'd watch all the broken people go by. It's all bad theology. You say, what do you mean, Jim? Jim? It all started with Adam and Eve. We're all broken because of Adam and Eve. It was bad theology. That's why hospitals exist, because of bad theology. It's why nuclear weapons exist, because of bad theology. So, we know that we can trace every other form of human human evil that I failed to mention. We can trace all disease, illness, death, as well as all natural disasters back to bad theology. Satan told Adam and Eve a lie about God. They believed it. And the rest is history. Every pain, every tear, and every tragedy, and every calamity can be traced back to bad theology. So what I need, and I pray that you need, is not a cool pastor and a relevant message. I pray, like me, that you want to look at God and be changed. I have a Bible verse, my memory verse. I've shared this with you before. Um, it's my favorite memory verse, 1 Thessalonians five sixteen. I'm going to recite it for you now. Rejoice always. That's good theology. And can I stand here and say, in the shadow of my son's death, my thirty nine year old son's death, that I rejoice in my God owes me no explanation. And I just want you to know that your pastor can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, you need to know that I'm not an empty suit. You you need to know that I'm not just up here preaching things I don't really believe. Yes, it's hard. But I rejoice in God. It's important for us to to know that and to remember that. So, rejoice always, it's who God is. It's what God's done, it's what God is doing, it's what God will do. Rejoice always, if you know Him, if you're born again, rejoice always, always. Even in the tears, even in the grief, even in the dark place, even in the hard place. We fall on God and we trust God. It's what Paul told Timothy. He, called, he, calls, he calls the Lord the blessed God. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, the blessed God, which means happy God. He's the happy God. And we can rejoice in Him. I love what John Piper says, and I'm going to get into the text about Psalm 100. Listen to what Piper says about Psalm 100. Uh, again, I think most of you know who he is. An American preacher in the States. He's my favorite contemporary preacher. John Piper says, the infinitely happy God calls His happy people to happy worship. Amen? The infinitely happy God is calling His happy people to happy worship. That's what Psalm 100 is about. Shout joyfully to the Lord all of the earth. Now, if you're a Christian, you don't really need this command. You understand this. It's what's bubbling up in your soul perpetually all the time. This propensity and need and desire to rejoice always in this awesome and beautiful God who not only thought you up and created you, but has redeemed you from yourself. From yourself. He has redeemed you. It's an awesome thing. Biblical theology rightly understood is anything but boring, and sometimes you feel like you have to shout. Amen? You just have to shout. If not literally, at least figuratively, in your heart and in your soul. We're not interested in using God. We're interested in enjoying God. Right? Right? Can a man enjoy God in the grief? Absolutely. He can enjoy that God is His rock in the hard spot. It's an amazing comfort. That alone, I'll I'll confess to you, demands a shout, a muted shout, possibly, but a shout. So... Are you kidding me? How can I preach too much theology? It's theology is what you need. You need you need a preacher who's going to talk about God. You know, not how you can make your marriage better. As I I was preaching in in um, Austria about marriage, principally, but I said, you know what? I can't preach that low. I can't give you ten things to make your marriage better. What I'm going to tell you to do is look at Christ and be changed. That's how you make your marriage better. Walk closer to Jesus. You'll stop fighting with each other if you're in the good fight, right? If you're out there in the good fight, if you're really disciples together, you don't have time to fight very much. Yes, I know we're sinful and we're fallen and we're prone to take offense. But if you're looking at Jesus, man... (laughs) You know, I can't preach that small. I can't preach ten steps. All I can do is exhort you to be in love with Christ. Christ. To walk with Christ. So, yeah, good theology. Shout. Shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout joyfully to the Lord. It's cool. It's the same word that's used in Joshua 6.16 when God told the Jews to shout down the walls of Jericho. Don't you love it? That's how much power is in the shout of the true believer. God says just shout them down. Just shout the walls down. You shout... I'll knock them down. <laughs> I love that story. I love that story. I love what one old Puritan says about Christianity. He says, Worshiping and praising Jehovah is no melancholy chore. Amen? It's no melancholy chore. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, God just gave Jericho to the Jews. Well, He gave him the Promised Land, didn't He? But what has He given given you and I? What has He given you and I? Luke chapter 12, verse 32. What has He given you and I? Everything. Not just the promised land. Everything. He says, I gladly give you my kingdom. I'm giving it to you. Now, okay. You'd rather hear about ten ways to be more successful? You shouldn't come here if that's what you want to hear. I'm not going to tell you that. Because what is true success to the true believer? I'm in love with Jesus. I'm walking with Jesus. My life is being changed by Jesus. I'm learning how to love my spouse. I'm learning how to, you know, do my job in such a way that I honor my God. I tell you what, you do your work as unto the Lord. You don't need ten steps to how to improve your career. You're going to be the best employee on the floor. You're going to be the best employee on the floor. Some people may not like you because you're a Christian, and that happens too. That happened to me. I got fired one time, but that's okay. <laughs> the Lord gave me another job. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not worried about the job. I just want to make sure that I have integrity with my God, and I'm being used to honor Him. So we have this joy. It's the, 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 the root and the fruit of Christianity. We see that in Matthew 13, 44. You know, the man that finds the hidden treasure. Right? Why does he, why does he buy the field? Why does he sell all that he has to buy the field? Someone tell me. Why is it? Because it's re- uh, some kind of religious obligation. He feels like he should do it. No. Why does he do it? Why does he buy the field? Because of joy, he buys the field. So we are born again in joy, and we prosecute the Christian life in joy. So it is the root and the fruit of joy. And I love C.S. Lewis here. He says, Christians are seriously joyful and joyfully serious. Amen? I love it. We are seriously joyful and joyfully serious. We talked about it very briefly last week in the Psalms. Psalm 19, Psalm 93, Psalm 96, 98. All these excerpts where the created order is worshiping God. Uh, I'll give you a couple. Uh, the floods lift up their voice. The heavens are glad. The earth rejoices. The sea and all it contains it roars. The field and uh, the field and all that it contains exalts. The trees are singing. The world roars. The rivers clap. The mountains sing. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth, and it is. Even though it's fallen and marred by our own, by mankind's sin. You can see it on a beautiful day, right? You can see it. And when the flower opens up, you can see worship. I see worship. I don't know what you see. I see worship. Um, so, So this verse is calling all of mankind to worship God, even as the created order is worshiping God. Every nation, tongue, and tribe... Every people are called to worship. Revelation 7, 9, John writes, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were, were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God is calling all peoples everywhere to shout worship to His awesome name. We've had 82 nations come through this church in some very, very, very small, but I believe strategic way. We are sending good theology out all over the world. Thanks to God. Verse 2, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with Joyful singing. Again, the hallmark of biblical theology and true conversion is joy and gladness. Joy appears about 200 times uh, in the Bible. Gladness will appear about another 150 times. Authentic Christianity flows from a wellspring of joy and Gladness. Pseudo-Christianity flows from a sterile heart of merely being religious and performing for God, hoping to get God's performance in return. It is blasphemous to think of God on this level, to think of Him at this level, that I can you know, perform in such a way that I can motivate God to perform in the way I want Him to perform. Beloved, this is a blasphemous thing to even consider that Jehovah God can be manipulated like this. I just want to tell you it's blasphemous. It's such a low view of who God is and how God operates. It's just not a biblical view. So we can serve the Lord with gladness. He's our example. Amen? What does the the great text in Hebrews 12-2 tell us? For the joy set before Him he what? Someone tell me. He endured the cross. That's how big the joy of God is. That's the, that's, the, 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 that's the kind of joy that we're tapped into. The kind of joy that can take the cross and rejoice in it because it's the Father's will and he's saving his bride for himself. This is what I was telling the people in Austria. Man, here's the marriage you need to be uh, consumed with and obsessed with. It's the marriage of the groom and the bride. The groom being the Lord and the bride being the church. Ephesians chapter 5. That's what, you know, human marriage is a parable about this celestial marriage between Jesus the groom and his bride that he died for it's it's the ultimate romance you know every romantic movie is just blatant plagiarism it's just blatant plagiarism because it's just take it's just stealing from what Jesus is to the church and how he's loved us and saved us and delivered us yeah it's just an incredibly beautiful story so joy is is who we are gladness is who we are even in the hard spot We are sorrowful, as Paul says, even when we're sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Even in the sorrow, yet always rejoicing in the deepest part. I love how John Piper talks about God in this regard. Let me give you this quote. I know I've given it to you several times. Our Heavenly Father's heart is so full of deep and unshakable happiness, we may be sure that when we seek our happiness in Him, we will not find Him out of sorts. We will not find a frustrated, gloomy, irritable father who wants to be left alone, but instead a father whose heart is so full of joy, it spills over onto all of those who are thirsty. Amen? So for accurate picture of God, I love how Charles Spurgeon talks about the joy in Christian songs. He says there is no fiction in these lyrics. There is no fiction in our songs. And I... I, I rarely do. I, I'm, I'm always in it myself. I'm always worshiping. But sometimes I, I look at you guys and I see your hands up or I see your eyes closed or I see you singing uh, earnestly. You know, there's no right formula here. But you are, you've, you've released yourself into a, a, a time of worship and you're worshiping the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. There is no fiction in our songs, right? It's all true. We should be singing. We should be shouting. It's all true. It's all true. Verse 3, Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Yeah, He's God and you're not. So I know you already know this. You've been in this church for a few times. You already know this. He's God you're not, and you're glad about it. And you know you can't do verse one if you don't know that the Lord Himself is God. Verse three. You must know that the Lord Himself is God. You can't do verse one, you can't do verse three unless you know verse three uh, verse one and verse two, unless you know verse three. Unless you know that the Lord Himself is God, there is no other God. It's the Lord. It's Yahweh. That's what that means there. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Yahweh. All other gods are counterfeits. It's Yahweh. I've seen it many times. I'm sure you have too. Many people feign worship, but it's not in their heart. It's not real in their heart. That's why biblical theology matters. It's why preaching the whole truth of God matters. It's why doctrine matters. It's why I, I think the Lord is laying on my heart to preach through John um, in the new year. And there's some hard stuff in John. But we don't run from the hard verses, right? We, we want to try to understand the hard verses. So we have a, a, a well a well- orbed view of who God is so we need to see God that's what we need that's our greatest need I love john eight thirty one to thirty two I know i share this passage with, with you a lot. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, which is what? Good theology. He says, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you shall know the truth. That's good theology. you'll know the truth, you'll know good theology and the truth the good theology shall make you free. So what I try to do when you come in here is, is make you free. I try to give you the truth so you'll go out in, out in the world and be free. You won't be afraid. You won't be intimidated. You won't be full of anxiety. You won't worry and worry and worry. You won't wring your hands. You're free. You're just free to incarnate joy. Doesn't mean we don't have hard times. Doesn't mean we don't cry. That's not what I'm saying. We can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. God is calling us. Beloved, in Psalm 100, He's not calling us to to come to church. Yes, you should come to church and meet with God's people. Of course you should. But He's calling you to a lifestyle. That's what He's calling you to. A lifestyle. Thanks living. Thanks living. That's what the Lord is calling us to. Yes, we know. We're, We're Bible believers. Yes. He made us. Stephen Hawking, God made me. I'm not the result of the law of gravity. Read John Lennox's critique of Stephen Hawking. It's brilliant. It's a short little booklet. He kills Stephen Hawking just on logic. But enough of that. He made us. We know that. We're not sheeple. We don't believe all the garbage that comes down the academic pipe. We don't buy into it. We know the truth. We know the truth. God has made us. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Psalm 23 kicks in. We are His sheep. A, guy, a friend of mine posted uh, on YouTube, or pardon me, on Facebook. I always get this. Always, have, I'm d- dyslexic on YouTube and Facebook. But anyway, uh, it's, he's a pastor friend of mine. He had, he had a little video. Maybe some of you have seen this. It's, it's, it's people who are not the, the, the shepherd calling the sheep. Have you seen this? Have any of you seen this? And, and these people who are not the shepherd, they call the sheep, they call the sheep, they call the sheep, and the sheep never even look up. They don't ever look up. They just keep eating the grass. And then the real shepherd calls them. And they just—they all go, and they start coming to him. It's John chapter ten. My people hear my voice, and my people follow me. It's an awesome thing. Hey, yeah, uh, it's a cool, it's a cool little video. The twenty-third psalm kicks in, verse four: Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless. His name, we talked about this about 18 months ago. There's no way any of you will remember this, I'm sure. But what is the impact, or pardon me, the implicit invitation of God when He commands us to praise Him? Anybody remember? Of course you don't. But I want you to file this away, and if you need to write it, I know some of you are too righteous to write in your Bibles, but I'm not, and I'll write it in the corner of or in the margin something that's important but I think this is important when God commands us to praise him it's not as C.S. Lewis first thought it. he he was like an old woman seeking a compliment that you know C.S. Lewis yeah he got past that but the implicit message here is settle no more come and enjoy me that is That's what God is saying when God commands us to praise Him. He's saying, don't settle for this little garbage anymore. And some of it's legitimate. We have legitimate pleasures in this world, of course. But we never make them ultimate. God is ultimate. But don't settle for something small when I'm offering myself to you. He's saying, come and enjoy me. That's really what He's saying when when He commands that we praise Him. He doesn't need us to praise Him he knows it's our greatest joy to genuinely praise Him, right? He's our deepest pleasure. He knows that. He made us that way. So when we are commanded to praise Him, it's an invitation to enjoy Him. Thanks and thankfulness and thanksgiving are pervasive themes in the Bible 200 times in the Bible. And we know if we know our Bibles that we, have, we were once enemies, but now we're co-heirs. We were once enemies, but now we're adopted sons and daughters. How can we not be a thankful people? How can we not be a thankful people? The psalmist says, bless his name. And I thought of Job. The Lord gives. The Lord takes. What? What? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Beloved, God means for you to enjoy Him in the grief. I don't even know if you can understand what I'm trying to communicate to you. I don't want to, I don't want to be misunderstood. But we, we feel our grief. We feel our pain. We weep our tears. But joy... But God means to for you to enjoy the fact that God is sovereign in every tier and that no tear is wasted, that God is at work in every tier to bring you into conformity with his son. This is awesome stuff. It's awesome stuff. I can't preach culturally relevant messages. Meaning it's all about you. That would do you no good, and I'll have to answer to God one day. Jim, why did you preach that garbage to my people? Why didn't you get them jazzed about who I am? Why didn't you preach my word to them? That they would find their deepest pleasure in me. Not in their marriage, not in their career, not in their success, not in their pile of money, not in their acclaim or renown or fame. All of that's passing away, beloved. I love you too much to encourage that kind of thinking. What I want you to do is be free because you have a biblical view of God and you're hopelessly in love with this God. That's my highest aspiration. Verse 5, For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. His faithfulness to all generation. There's a pattern here in Psalm 100. Verse 1 and 2, it's a call to worship. Why? Verse 3, because our God is Creator. Verse 4, there's a call to worship. Why? Verse 5, because our God is good, loving, merciful, and faithful. It's why we preach good theology at ICM. A.W. Pink says it well, an unknown God can neither be trusted, served, nor worship. It's why we preach God here. It's why most of my sermons are about God. Yes, there are implications for us. There are implications for us and how we respond to who God is and what God's done and what God's commanded. Of course there are implications and applications. Of course there are. But it, it, it's all meaningless, at least to me if I'm not looking at, you know, if I'm not looking at God. It's like I told the, the, the marriage retreat guys. I said, you know, what does it matter if you're not loving Christ and making much of Christ in your marriage? You know, Francis Chan talks about this in his marriage book. I'd highly recommend it. You and Me Forever. Written by he and his wife, Lisa Chan. He said, what good is it if if I focus on my family and and we focus on the few years we have in this life and and I teach my kids that, that making the most of this life is what really matters instead of making most of the next? He said, my obligation as a father, as a husband, is to show this to my wife and my kids, right? I'm showing my wife, my, my wife and my kids that Jesus is ultimate. Jesus is my highest delight and pleasure. That's what I need to teach to my children and be an example of to my wife. I think I said to him, marriage-centered marriages are not Christian marriages. You know, people who are just always looking at the marriage. Bam, bam, marriage, marriage. How can I be happy in my marriage? Boom, boom, boom. Marriage-centered marriages are not Christian marriages. Christ-centered marriages are Christian marriages. And it's true. If you're loving Jesus together, you're going to fight a whole lot less. So, at ICM... We want to look at God in the Bible. We want to be changed. We want to be changed. Bad theology hurts people. Biblical theology liberates people. True believers are not interested in using God. We're too busy enjoying God. So we don't have cool pastors and relevant messages. We just want to open the Bible and be in awe. and be changed as we look at how beautiful he is how stunning he is how spectacular he is how magnificent he is how wonderful he is how awesome he is how breathtakingly desirable he is jesus says in john 17 3 this is eternal life that they may know you as he prays to his father the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. God says, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen. And amen. This is the word of God. Let's pray. We get it, Lord. We get it. We get it. (laughs) How can we not rejoice always? You are who You are. You do what You do. You've promised what You've promised. You will accomplish all Your good pleasure. How can we not rejoice? How can we not be thankful? How can our hearts and minds not be bursting with anticipation about all that You are doing and have prepared for us? Eye has not seen nor ear heard all that You are preparing for us. Lord, forgive us when we become distracted and we get focused on some of the minutia. May we look past the minutiae, past the crisis, past the trouble, past the pain, past the tears, past the hurt, And just be glad in You. We can be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And we can be that because You are who You are. We love You, Lord. We love You with all our heart. We give all praise, glory, and honor to the name of Jesus. Amen.